1: From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald Face truth.
0: I'm not worried about Oregon State football. I know, I know 21 of 22 positions, they're getting it done. And a very important position, quarterback, they're just not. We'll talk about it. I'll tell you why I'm not too worried about him. The Ducks, meanwhile, if you're an Oregon Duck fan, you got to feel pretty good about the midnight statement that they made on Saturday night against Stanford. A traditionally tricky game for Oregon didn't look that tricky at all. Sure, it was sloppy in spots, but there's a lot to like about what Oregon is doing and how they're playing right now. I feel like the last six or seven weeks of the college football season are going to be a wild ride in our state. Meanwhile, around the country, some interesting trends. Five Power Five conference coaches are out of jobs this season. The latest, Paul Christ at Wisconsin, Carl Durrell at Colorado. We'll talk about them on today's show. In fact, I want to start by talking about the coach who didn't get fired. I wrote about him today at johnconzano.com. I was in Salt Lake City over the weekend for that Oregon State-Utah game. I think there's a lot that Utah can teach the rest of college football. In certainly the mid-major programs, Boise State, Fresno State, San Diego State, SMU, the wannabe Pac-12 teams, UNLV included. I think there's a lot that Utah could teach them. I got on the phone this morning with Chris Hill, the former University of Utah Athletic Director, longtime AD, and I called him up because somebody over the weekend texted me and says, you know, someone ought to buy Chris Hill a beer. Now, I don't even know if Chris Hill drinks. He was the AD at Utah, for crying out loud. But I reached out to Chris Hill because that person was right. And it came from an athletic department administrator at a rival Pac-12 school uh, who reached out to me. And I'll tell you because, you know, you are uh, membership has its privileges. The rival school was Arizona State. So it came from an administrator at Arizona State who texted me and said, hey, someone should buy Chris Hill a beer. And I was like, what do you mean? And the administrator told me he refused to panic. He didn't panic when Kyle Whittingham, the current coach at Utah, who everybody views as this terrific football coach who's got it all figured out, he went through a dismal stretch in Salt Lake City several years ago. Again, I went into great detail today. If you subscribe to me at johnconzano.com, you already have the column that I wrote, the analysis, you get it in real time, you got it this morning. But I think it's important to talk about because we're watching – Coaches get fired, and we're watching buyouts not matter. Think about this. Paul Christ at Wisconsin, they'll pay him $16.4 million, and the guy had a winning record at Wisconsin. They just didn't like the way he was winning or certainly didn't like the way that he was losing a little bit this season off to a 2-3 and three start. But his three losses came against undefeated Ohio State, 4-1 Washington State, and 4-1 and Illinois. Those aren't horrible losses. He wasn't embarrassing the program. But it was kind of the way that Wisconsin was playing that the new Wisconsin athletic director didn't like, and he was willing to pay a $16.4 million buyout to get rid of Christ. Now, Carl Derrill at Colorado owed almost $9 million. He's out of work as well over the weekend, and we'll be talking with Brian Howell of the Boulder Daily Camera. He is going to be on the show to talk about where Colorado is pivoting to. Is it possible that Brian Lindgren... The offensive coordinator at Oregon State would be a candidate at Colorado. Keep an eye on it. He's got some history with Colorado, certainly, and I know that that is one of the few places that I had always looked at and went, gosh, would Lindgren go there? Has Oregon State had enough success? We'll talk about it later in the show. Also out of work this year, Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech. They paid him $11.4 million. Scott Frost at Nebraska, they paid him $15 million. Herm Edwards at Arizona State, $9.4 million that's 60.9 million dollars five coaches so the average is well over 12 million dollars for these buyouts and you're going to hear athletic departments who are going to tell us oh the pandemic hit we don't have money we have to furlough we have to lay people off we're not sure if we're going to have enough to do this or do that television revenue has soared high dollar uh, donors are paying some of these buyouts, they're eager to write a check and buy some hope. But if your football team is not winning or isn't just playing a style that you enjoy, the message is fire the coach and don't worry about the buyout. Worry about that later. And I talked about Chris in particular because he was born in Madison. He played quarterback for the Badgers. He never had a losing season at Wisconsin and his overall record was pretty damn good like and i was looking at that he's 67 and 26 at wisconsin he's a winner but they are done with him and moving on and i think it's really interesting to kind of look around college football and note how impatient these athletic departments are and also let's consider a couple of cases like people always bring up rich brooks at oregon he went 2 and 9 followed by two and nine. A couple years later, he went two and nine again. Then he went two, eight, and one. Progress. But I think it was really impressive that Oregon, at that time, all those years ago, decided to stay with Rich Brooks. They saw him through, and it reaped rewards eventually as he figured some things out. Now, the calculus has changed. Chris Hill at Utah told me uh, he was being, I think, candid when he said, he said, quote, if the situation were now, maybe I wouldn't have been as patient. End quote. But he also told me that he didn't listen to frustrated boosters and fans who were demanding Kyle Whittingham be fired several years ago. He would tell him, hey, I'm not not a surgeon. If I go in for a knee replacement, I don't question the surgeon. Basically, don't question me. You don't know what the hell's going on inside the athletic department. But think about Utah. Utah joined the Pac-12 in 2011. They went eight and five in the first season, but they were only four and five in conference play. They gamed the non-conference schedule a little bit in a way that was very favorable to them so they could pile up some wins and not look embarrassing. They did that in the first few years of participation in the Pac-12. But in Winningham's second season, he went five and seven. And in his third season, he went five and seven. So if you think about that, that's more than enough to get you fired in most power five conference programs that expect to win but utah probably at the time because it had just joined the pac-12 gave him a little wider berth in conference play in that two-year span utah went five and thirteen they were bad there were whispers there were questions people were wondering you know, are they are do they have enough talent will whittingham figure it out chris hill said he heard the noise but he stuck with kyle whittingham now Fast forward to this season, Utah's in the driver's seat in the Pac-12. they got a big game coming up this weekend against UCLA. A bigger game looming, should they win that one, against USC at home in two weekends. But that stubborn blend of patience and, and perseverance has paid off at, in Salt Lake City. And in Utah's fifth season as a Pac-12 member, it won the South Division. Finished 10-3, and played in the conference title game against Washington. They have now appeared in three of the last four conference championship games. They won the conference outright last season. They went to the Rose Bowl for the first time. Again, I'm not saying that Colorado should have stuck with Carl Durrell, but it's a message to the rest of us about continuity and impatience. The Buffaloes, in Colorado's case, were just not competitive. It didn't look like it was going to get fixed. But you also have to wonder about the impatience in some places, like Wisconsin. I wonder if Wisconsin will find a better coach, or will they end up like Nebraska after it fired Bo Pelini? Turn to Scott Frost, Mike Riley, to, you know, n- nothing's really worked out. If you go back, they probably would rewind the clock and go, okay, we'll just stick with Pelini. He was kind of a jerk, but at least he won games. It's a cautionary tale is what I'm saying. If you're an Oregon State fan, if you're an Oregon fan, file that away. I'm not saying back in the day Oregon should have stuck with Mark Helfrich. I'm not going to go there. I know a lot of revisionists have gone there and gone, oh, look at everything they've been through from Willie Taggart to Mario Cristobal and now Dan Lanning. But I think at the time we all sort of recognized that part of the reason why Mark Helfrich was promoted at Oregon was because they had Marcus Mariota at quarterback, and they wanted and they valued that continuity. Chip Kelly had left for the NFL they wanted to keep that sort of window going. But I think a lot of people, myself included, recognized almost immediately that Mark Helfrich, while he was smart, and he was a super nice guy, and he knows football, and gosh, you'd love him, love to have him as your offensive coordinator. He really wasn't CEO material. And I don't think there's any knock in that. Like you know, There are a lot of football coaches who are not CEOs, who maybe, maybe they make a great coordinator, a great position coach, or a great recruiter, but maybe shouldn't be – the head coach of a program. So I think, you know, as we look at, you know, college football in today's world, there's an awful lot of impatience. There's an awful lot of let's just fire the guy and pay the buyout and move on. But I kind of wonder with some of the coaches who are out there right now who are on the hot seat or maybe find their seat a little bit warm, if there's a lesson to be learned here. I also am looking at the Pac-12, which uh, at once upon a time had Mel Tucker and Herm Edwards and Carl Durrell and David Shaw uh, out, as all part of their conference. If you just go back to the last cycle uh, prior to uh, you know, even Jimmy Lake at Washington leaving, it was like you know, a 33% of the conference had an African-American head football coach. Pac-12 was insanely proud of that. And we now look at David Shaw being the only uh you know, person of color who is in charge of a football program in the Pac-12 conference. So uh, I'm looking at the buyouts for the African-American coaches who have have left or been fired, and I'm going, huh, why weren't those buyouts as high as other coaches? I'm also kind of wondering if uh, Carl Durrell, Herm Edwards, others, Jimmy Lake, did they get a fair shake? Like, I'm left thinking about that. I don't know the answer to that exactly. I'd have to do a deeper dive. But it's something that I'm thinking about today – as I look around college football, and certainly in the case of Washington, where I thought they were better than a 4-8 and eight team, uh, you know, was Jimmy Lake just more like Mark Helfrich? Was he a guy who was a great coordinator but maybe shouldn't have ever been a head coach? I don't know the answer to that. But we'll go in search of answers on today's show. Got a great show for you. Got great guests. A lot of heavy discussion. A lot of light discussion. We'll have some fun with it. We'll talk about the Pac-12 and much more. And I'll give you some insight into what's coming down the pipeline this week. It's going to be an interesting week, I think, on the Pac-12 front in particular. You got the BFT statewide. I want you to leave it here. We got so much more ahead.
1: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750, The Game.
0: I first suspected Oregon State had a quarterback problem in the game at Fresno State. Early in that football game, I went down to the visiting, or I guess it was the home radio broadcast booth at Bulldog Stadium in Fresno. And Pat Hill, uh, who I covered years ago and uh, I remain uh, friends with, I guess, at a distance, uh, the the former Bulldogs coach was uh, sitting in the broadcast booth down there. He's part of the radio crew. and. He pointed out to me, I said, what do you see out there? And he says, you know, on third and long, I like Fresno State so much more because they had Jake Hayner at quarterback and Oregon State had Chance Nolan. And he said third and six, third and seven, third and nine, he says it feels pretty dire for Oregon State. And he's right. When they got in those downs and distances, they weren't very good. And, in fact, I think Oregon State – won that football game just because of the way they played in the final few minutes of the game. They played really well and made some plays and went down the field. And I left the stadium kind of thinking about that and watched for it and saw it in the USC game, obviously, and then saw it again as Chance Nolan really struggled against Utah. Just struggled to make throws, bad decisions. You can tell his confidence is shot. Now, I don't know if he is going to start this week or not. We are going to probably find out maybe sometime tomorrow. Uh, I'm interested to know if Chance Nolan is practicing. I saw him after the game in Salt Lake City. He was on the ramp as I was walking toward the locker room. He was coming out, and he walked past me, and he was kind of rolling his neck, and he was dressed in his uh, you know, sweatsuit and a baseball cap, and he was headed to the bus. He was like the first person to leave, and you head towards the bus. And I thought to myself, I bet he doesn't play next week. I'll bet you they go with uh, Golburson at quarterback. And uh, Goldbrunson I thought, looked okay in spots. I think he's got a better arm than Chance Nolan. I just don't think he has been in the program and in the system and doesn't know it as well and obviously is not as experienced as Chance Nolan. But I think Oregon State has a question to answer at quarterback. And Jonathan Smith's got to figure out whether it's the portal or whether it is recruiting somebody. He's got to figure out how to get a better quarterback into the system. I think it's, I think it's the biggest sin that, of his program to this point in this era. Uh, meanwhile, at Oregon, Dan Lanning, they kind of have it going, and I feel good about them ever since the opening performance against Georgia. They were sloppy, a lot of penalties against Stanford, but man, do I like the wide receivers. Troy Franklin looks better than anybody I've seen at wide receiver from Oregon. Uh, probably since maybe uh, the Justin Herbert era where you had uh, Dylan Mitchell out there catching passes. Uh, I, I think Troy Franklin is going to be a big-time player for Oregon if he sticks around a couple of few years. I think there will be some temptation to for him to jump in the portal if Oregon doesn't have the kind of success that I expect that they have. But Oregon looks like they've kind of figured some things out. But I think the real test for Oregon is the final six games of the season. I laid it out. Sunday morning in a piece at johnconzano.com. You can read that if you want. But I kind of laid out, here's the path for Oregon. Here's where their season will be decided. It'll be the final six weeks. It'll be, you know, everything from playing Oregon State to playing Utah to playing Washington to playing UCLA. I mean, it just have a kind of a brutal stretch where, you know, they're going to have to prove that they belong at the top of the conference. But they have positioned themselves in a way that tells me they want to matter and they probably will matter in the conference hierarchy. I started today's show by talking about coaches, the hot seat, all that. I'm kind of thinking now about how coaches must feel. It's not enough to win. And if you win, but 2 years later, you uh, don't look as good or maybe you're not uh, you've fallen out of favor with some boosters and uh, you know, you go you go 7 and 5, suddenly your seat's warm. It's just a different game right now for coaches and I and I'm looking back and thinking, you know, gosh, Utah In 2012 and 2013, stuck with Kyle Whittingham. Good thing they did, because look at them now. Let's go to the phone lines. 503-417-7575 is the number. Josh is in Vancouver. Josh, what's up, man?
2: Hey, John. Hey, listen, man. This is a really good topic that uh, I'm kind of excited to listen get dissected today. So what I wanted to call in and share with you was just the thought that um, I believe that the pressure and the anxiety behind replacing coaches and flushing coaches before really giving them an opportunity to find success is really ultimately going to be – I think we're going to see it get worse. And it's going to be driven by the need to settle what the future of college football is going to look like in terms of conferences and in terms of uh, playoff structure and everything that really has nothing to do with these individual universities – uh, I really think that there's going to be a ton of pressure turned up in the Big 12, in the Pac-10, well, we'll call it the Pac-10 for lack of better term for right now, and then the group of five schools. I think you're going to see a ton of probably what otherwise would have been coaches that would have found long-term success get fr- flushed prematurely because of administrations jockeying for position for what expansion and all these conferences is gonna look like, trying to position themselves for T V money, trying to position themselves for relevance in really what otherwise is a time of who is relevant and who is not based on your affiliation. So I'm really I'm really interested to see what people's uh, opinions and, and feelings are about why they think this is happening, or or maybe what things maybe I'm not considering, and kind of interested in listening to you dissect this a little bit more. But those are kind of my initial feelings on why I think we're seeing a lot of what we're seeing, and my opinion is I think it's going to get way way worse before it gets any better.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, I also think there's a trickle down effect that is happening. That's you know obviously athletic departments see the stakes as being bigger and football is driving the bus on a lot of these decisions, almost all of them. It, it drives the decisions on conference realignment. It drives the decisions when they go to market. You know, it's all about that, the revenue that is, that is the piggy bank, that football stadium that is on their campus or near their campus. So I think that not only are we seeing less patience from athletic directors as it pertains to the head football coach uh, and boosters, but we're also seeing the head football coach less inclined to sit around and wait for an incoming freshman quarterback to develop. I think the transfer portal has really messed with the calculus. Stanford's a great example of it. I just I spent a lot of time this weekend as I was waiting for that Oregon Stanford game talking to people in college athletics who were telling me like, "Hey, that transfer portal is a bigger issue for David Shaw than people are letting on." Like he's got one transfer that he was able to bring in, and Stanford only let the person transfer in because it was a graduate transfer who was seeking a master's degree. Uh, you know, they're playing against Oregon, who's got 20 transfers. They're playing, you know, this week against another school that's got another 20 transfers. Like Jed Fish at Arizona had 21 just this last off season. So you know, Arizona State's got 20. So it's it's like everyone in the conference is in a real hurry to get better. And there's no ability, even with Lincoln Riley at USC, there's no ability for him to come in and go, look, it's going to be a slow build. We're going to win six games this year. Nobody's interested in that. So you have to go for it, pedal to the metal. So I think not only are the athletic departments less patient with the head coach, I think you also see the head coach less patient with development of players, uh, less inclined to go out and bring in freshmen when they can go to the portal. Steven, how do you read this? What do you think of what's going on? And, and, man, I think Paul Christ is a candidate at Nebraska, Colorado, anywhere else that they open a job. He's a good coach. Yeah, and that's the surprising
3: thing is Paul Christ. It's not like – you know, it, it wasn't like he was just a no coming out of nowhere, right? Like he had been around Madison and Wisconsin his whole career. Like I read this tweet from Matt Fortuna. He had spent 33 of his 56 years of life in Madison, Wisconsin. So it's not like he wasn't one of their own people. Right. And so for him to be 67 and 26, you know, win the Big Ten West three times, be a Big Ten coach of the year and be fired after this one down year at two and three was surprising. But to me, John, it really seems like it's about the money. Right. This this new conference deal that's coming in for the Big Ten, USC and UCLA coming in. I look, I think they're looking at the at their team and they're saying, you know, what? we can't even keep up with Illinois and the way that they're running the football and the speed that they got. So we need to get new minds in here is it the right choice i don't know but it seems like there it's a little bit of an overreaction to well maybe wisconsin's wisconsin's falling behind the times a little bit with the way that they play
0: yeah it, it's and also let, let's keep in mind i always look at the athletic director there's there's a it's a three-pronged approach for a football coach and i can tell you that gary anderson when he got to oregon state was awfully worried when he looked up and he said my ad is gone He felt like he didn't have the support. That's why he was really interested in helping get Scott Barnes there. Uh, The AD that hired you is an important part of the equation. And so in a a case like Wisconsin, Chris comes in, been the coach for several years. Barry Alvarez, not the easiest athletic director to work for, was looking over his shoulder the whole time. It's not fun. But Barry Alvarez left last year. And so you have now a brand-new athletic director on the scene. Uh, it, it, and I'm going to tell you what I think happened with Chris at Wisconsin is the AD who came in wanted his own head coach, wanted to make that hire because why? The AD is going to be judged on how well that coach performs. So this AD didn't like that Chris's offense was struggling a little bit. But if you look at Wisconsin's schedule, they, they lost to Ohio State. They lost to Washington State, they lost to Illinois. Combined records of those teams, 13 and 1. Okay? They lost to good teams. What was about to happen at Wisconsin in the next 3 weeks is they were going to win 2 or 3 in a row. They're playing Northwestern, they're playing, you know, their schedule just, you know, lines up in a way that I think Wisconsin was going to win games here. The AD moved on Paul Christ before he could fix it. It told me that the it didn't matter what Chris was going to do. The AD was looking for an opportunity from Go, and Chris gave it to him by starting two and three. I think Wisconsin will be four and three in two weeks. I don't. I think they were going to be four and three with Paul Christ, and then they were going to have a hard time firing a guy with a winning record. So I think the AD, uh, you know, I think it's a little disingenuous. I think this AD just moved on him.
3: No, I think you're right. Um, you know, the, the thing about it is, do you think there's anything that has to do with? You know, Like you said, the AD doesn't think it's. Maybe the AD thinks that Paul Chris isn't the guy, and it definitely wasn't his guy. But with the additions of USC and UCLA and the money coming in, do they feel like they want to get out in front of that and hopefully get the right guy to compete with them?
0: Yes, that's what they're hoping. And I think they know that that Fox money's coming in a couple of years. And they're going, hey, $16 million, Chris buyout, let's do it. We need to. You know, it kind of tells me that I think Wisconsin knows who they want to hire, and they were just waiting for Chris to stumble in order to get rid of him. Like I I think in in his defense, like look, he was the offensive coordinator at Oregon State for a time. He was a quarterback coach at Oregon State. He's a really good coach, knows the Pac-12 Conference. I'm looking at Arizona State. I'm looking at Colorado. I'm looking at Nebraska, and I'm going, you know, I won't be surprised if Chris pops up at one of those places and gets an opportunity and wins. I think he's a good coach. I just think Wisconsin in the new AD probably had a different – thing in mind
3: well you even look at you know Illinois the team they just lost to on Saturday Brett Bielema he was he was a good yeah. coach at Wisconsin and then you know he he's let go in Illinois who's have been struggling for so long they go out and get him now they're four and one so yeah you're right like a team like Colorado Nebraska why would you not go out and get a Paul Chris who has proven to be proven. a really good coach
0: proven coach proven commodity let's go to Boulder next and find out Brian Howell of the Boulder Daily Camera is going to join us they fired Carl Durrell who are they looking at How's going to tell us. Leave it here.
1: Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: Our next guest has his finger on the pulse of Colorado football. Like it or not, Brian Howell's all over it. Colorado Athletic Director Rick George uh, has fired Carl Durrell, the football coach. Brian Howell uh, had the initial report on it and subsequently the best coverage. Not surprised there, and he's joining us now. What's your life been like since Saturday?
4: (laughs) Not a lot of sleep. Um, I I anticipated it and uh, prepared for it. and With a late night in Tucson, I changed my flight the last minute and Instead of going back Sunday afternoon, flew out six a.m. Sunday morning and spent the rest of the day working on the uh, Durrell firing story. So it was a long day yesterday.
0: You and I had talked about this, I think, in the last two or three weeks. That you know, this this week, this this game, the Arizona game. If things didn't go right, it could be enough. As it approached, um, how certain were you? Uh, you know, during the game as it's unfolding, did you think, okay, this is it? Like, what were your thoughts? as – as that game on Saturday was unfolding and Arizona was beating Colorado pretty easily?
4: Yeah, you know, there was a point in that third quarter where CU got within 33-20, and I thought, all right, maybe get a stop here. You can get back in this game. Maybe they win it. Uh, but just overall, was, as it was unfolding, and Arizona kept pulling away a little bit, um, I thought, this has to be it. I mean, if, if they win that game, I think it's tough to let him go with a win, and so because of that, I think overall it was the best thing for CU to lose that game and lose it like they did just so they can move on, Uh, but it did certainly feel like that was the end for Carl um, throughout that night.
0: Brian Howell with us, Boulder Daily Camera. He is the follow when it comes to Colorado football. Dorelli's let go. Rick George, the athletic director, holds a media availability um, how did that go? What were your impressions of George uh, as he spoke about parting ways with Darrell?
4: Yeah, you know, the impressions were that, you know, there's clearly you know some pressure on him to make a good hire this time around, but uh, there's also time, you know, and that's something he didn't have last time was, you know, it was such a weird timing with when Carl Durrell left uh, or when uh, Mel Tucker left and Durrell was hired in mid-February, uh, and there was a 10-day window there. And the, the candidate pool was much smaller at that point in time. Now he's got two months, and the candidate pool is as big as it can be. He's got two months to make this decision. He's got to get it right. And so that was kind of the impression from Rick was that he knows there's pressure and they've got to get it done. He owned it, that he's the one that uh, hired Carl Durrell, and that uh, they've got to get somebody better this time around.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that because often when you see a coaching change, there's a course correction. You know, Herm Edwards, NFL guy, you know, older guy at Arizona State. We uh, we expect Arizona State will go young, recruiter, somebody who's been in the college game. What's the correction from Carl Durrell in Colorado's mind?
4: Yeah, you know, Carl Durrell, one of the big criticisms of, of him and, and one of my criticisms of him was that um, very low-key and not a high-energy guy publicly. Um, he's a guy that didn't sell the program. Uh, he was not interested in doing that. Um, he just wanted to coach football. And he's not a guy that was going to be at the basketball games and you know, r- you know, getting students fired up and things like that. Um, and yesterday when Rick George talked, um, he was asked, do you have a profile of what you want? He said, well, not really, but as I said, I want somebody that's high energy, a strong motivator, and a very good leader. And the high energy stuck out to me because that was not Carl Gibraltar. And so if you the course correction could be probably that high energy type of guy that that, that person that's going to generate excitement for the program, which is what Carl Durrell didn't do.
0: yeah, I, I look at that and I go, okay, you know do you do you need to have previous head coaching experience or does a guy like Brian Lindgren at at Oregon State, the offensive coordinator does he even have a shot in a, in a thing like this or do you think it's going to be? more like experienced sitting head coaches who have some proof of performance
4: yeah it's hard to know what what rick george is thinking on that but for me i think you need a head coach i think colorado's been down long enough that i think you need to go with somebody that's proven that they can win as a head coach and they can do this job as a head coach um i think i just think that it's too i mean all all hirings are risky you know that but i think it's too risky for CU to hire somebody that has never done it and and so for me I think they have to get someone that's been a head coach
0: is there a chance they reach into their past is there somebody who's been there before who has had some success that you would consider as a candidate or uh, or do they go for a fresh face somebody that can elevate them immediately
4: yeah as a head coach there's not but um you know there's a couple guys that the one name that gets thrown around all the time is Eric the And the only name, the only reason his name gets attached to CU is because he's the all-time leading rusher and he's a bust legend. But, um, you know, when I look at him, he has not been in the college game at all since he was fired as CU's offensive coordinator after the 2012 season, after what was a disastrous two-year run. Um, I don't think he's a good fit here. But, you know, CU talked to him the last time around. So we'll see. The other one that's interesting with we'll CU ties is Ryan Walters, the uh, uh, defensive coordinator, at Illinois. Uh, they're leading the country right now in scoring defense. He played safety for the Buffs, um, you know, a couple of decades ago, and is a rising star. Not two decades ago, but it was a little while ago. Um, but he's a rising star in coaching, and he's a guy that uh, you know they can look at. But he's one that doesn't have head coaching experience. But that's a rising star in coaching that could fit that profile.
0: Right now, you know, you'll see coaching changes and you'll see some teams rally, some disintegrate. What happens to this Colorado team?
4: Yeah, it's interesting because all along they've said how galvanized they are, how close they are as a team. And based on the older players that I've gotten to know over the last few years, you know, I think they're going to rally together. I think they'll bond through this. Um, I think that they like their coaches. Uh, I think they liked Carl as well, but um, I think this team bonds. Um, whether that shows up on the field, I don't know, but I think this team comes together a little bit over the last seven weeks and and uh, does all they can to try to win.
0: Yeah, we're talking again to Brian Howell, the, the Boulder Daily Camera, uh, Colorado coming off a loss against Arizona, 43-20. They don't play again until they host Cal. Uh, the bye week... It gives them maybe a chance to regroup and come together. Uh, I'm I'm a little concerned about the lack of personnel, lack of talent. But what what do you know about the interim coach and and uh, and what happens next?
4: Yeah, I mean Mike Stanford obviously has been a, a long time offensive coordinator with some mixed results. Um, he's been good at spots. He's been uh, you know not so good at spots. And you know I looked at his career when he first got hired here and. I didn't like some of the trends as far as quarterback numbers seem to go down a little bit uh, during his time there. But, you know, he, he is an offensive mind and, and a guy that, um, you know, he, he turned over OC duties as he got named uh, interim yesterday. And so Clay Patterson will be the OC so that Mike can focus on being the head coach. And, um, you know, he's a guy that um, I think is, he's a high energy guy, uh, kind of like Rick George said, uh, but he's a good leader. Um, I think he can kind of get this team rallied a little bit. And I think one interesting thing to watch is, you know, they also fired the defensive coordinator, Chris Wilson. So they've got two new coordinators for the rest of the season. I'll be interested to see how those units change with different um, leadership there. You know, now that you don't have the Carl Durrell influence on offense, what does that look like? Now that you don't have Chris Wilson's influence on defense, what does that look like? And is it dramatic changes? Is it enough changes to fix this? I don't know.
0: It was interesting to me because I saw a piece that you wrote about tad boyle or uh, the buff zone had it you know and you guys were writing about the basketball coach at colorado and he made this comment that surprised me he said that he didn't really know carl durrell he never got to know him is that common at colorado that the coaching staffs don't kind of cross over they don't see each other they don't support each other that way
4: you know not really um and you know and there was a comment in that story i didn't write it my colleague did but you know, Tad said it's always kind of been that way with football coaches. But I remember he was uh, he was fairly close to Mike McIntyre when Mike was here. Uh, I just think that's Carl well I mean, um, I didn't get to know Carl. I didn't feel like I knew Carl that well at the mm-hmm. time that he left. And I, I've probably interviewed him 150 times in the time he was there. And I made a comment after last, or last winter uh, to Rick George. I said, you know, I don't really know. If, I, I can't get a gauge yet on how Carl feels about me. And Rick jokingly said to me, I can't get engaged in how he feels about me. So, (laughs) you know, I I just think that's Carl, that he was just a a low-key guy that went about his business, and he stuck to himself.
0: Yeah, I felt that way on media day. I I spoke with him on media day, and I thought, gosh, he's a really nice guy, but um, his energy is is just not – and, and granted, I had been you know, probably used to Mario Cristobal for three years or whatever, four years, and I, I just wasn't used to the lack of intensity. And I wondered, can a guy stand in front of his football team? and Did, did he ever get fired up, or was that just kind of his personality in general?
4: I had players uh, over the last couple of years tell me that um, he would get more fired up than we ever really saw um, publicly. Um, and you could hear it a little bit uh, at practice, but, but... – um, certainly not like, you know, your your prototypical football coach, and you know, certainly not like we've seen from other people. Um, probably more so in like those post game talks. I'm not sure how much he did it during the very practice, but I did have players tell me that there was more fire to him than what we typically see. But what we saw, and especially on game day, you don't see a whole lot. That was one of the big criticisms of fans is, um, you know, just they call him Stone faced Terrell because. It looked like he'd never moved his face at all during games. And so that was a huge criticism of fans. It wouldn't be a criticism if he was winning, but it was when you're losing.
0: That's interesting. Brian Howell, the Boulder Daily Camera, Uh, before I cut you loose, timeline. Do you expect that Colorado could make a hire sooner, later, or do they take their time like some programs tend to do even if they get a head start?
4: I think they're going to take their time. And uh, you know Rick George mentioned hey, just a word of warning, this is not going to happen anytime soon. Um, And he actually sent a letter out to fans that um, I get as well, and uh, it said he doesn't anticipate naming someone until after the season. And, you know, that season finale is November 26th against Utah. I would imagine that he's going to have somebody already picked out and ready to go, and maybe it's November 27th, but um, I wouldn't anticipate anything before that finale against Utah.
0: Brian, keep us posted, man. Uh, Great follow on Twitter. Thank you for joining us.
4: You bet. Anytime.
0: All right. There's Brian Howell of the Boulder Daily Camera. If you want to follow him, at Brian howell 33 Really good follow. Colorado football, he knows it inside and out. Coming up, our big splash. And at 4 o'clock, punch it audio. Plus, uh, I'm going to let it rip on the Pac-12 Conference. We'll talk about the latest woes of the Timbers and Thorns organization. Very disappointed in them. All of that still ahead.
1: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 the game.
0: Hunching audio's coming up. Right here on uh, The Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Uh, this week we got some big Pac-12 games. We'll talk about them in the four o'clock hour as well. Uh, the five at five still ahead. Anna will join us. A lot of big discussion, but let's uh, let's go into the big splash. It's the one thing you need to know today.
1: This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. That. Look! Look! Look at it. Where? Down there. Bucky. The big splash.
0: Well, you know, U.S. soccer investigation of the Timbers and the Thorns in the NWSL is out. The findings aren't great. In fact, they're downright disappointing when it comes to Merritt Paulson, Portland Timbers, Thorns. The findings included that Merritt Paulson knew of abusive behavior from former coach Paul Riley and that GM Galvin Wilkinson blamed one of the players for putting Riley in a bad position. Also, turns out the Thorns interfered with the investigation, and President of Business Operations Mike Golub made an inappropriate comment to a former coach. All of this very disappointing. All of this making me wonder about all of the public support for the Portland Timbers and the Portland Thorns. Uh, Fans obviously determined to spotlight the front office's mishandling of some serious allegations, domestic violence, sex abuse. Demanding accountability. If you are a fan of the Timbers or Thorns, you have to be disappointed. Uh, also, you know, it comes out that the uh, owner of the Timbers and Thorns, Merritt Paulson, sold 15% of his company last year uh, to, a, uh, to a equity firm. If you are a Timbers and Thorns fan, you have to be very disappointing. Frankly, if you aren't a fan, you have to be disappointed in this organization. It's the one thing that you need to know. Uh, You don't get credit when you do good things if you're also doing bad things. You shouldn't. Uh, How how do we get past that as sports fans and media members and human beings? Disappointed with the Thorns. Disappointed with the Timbers front office management organization. Uh, Really troubling stuff coming out of this report. Uh, I read it. It's lengthy. Uh I'll, admittedly I'm not a big time soccer hunk. I am not that into what is even going on on the field. I try to I cover it because it's part of my job, but frankly when this stuff happens I just shake my head and it has nothing to do with the fact that I have three daughters, it has to do with the fact that I am a human being and I think we should all be disappointed with what's going on. I expect that there will be changes. Uh I'm waiting to see what reaction the Timbers and Thorns have, but this isn't good stuff. Uh, guys, Pac-12 action over the weekend as we pivot into the 4 o'clock hour. Uh, what game, did anything surprise you guys? Because even though Oregon State didn't play well at Utah, didn't get great quarterback play, I think it's really hard to win when you're throwing four interceptions a game. Even though they lost that game, I wasn't surprised by the outcome. The game that surprised me was the Friday night game. UCLA. Had a, had a great first half and beat Washington 40-32. to 32. All kinds of points. I kind of feel like if Washington had just played a better first half, they they might win the game. But, man, UCLA kicked their ass in the first half of that game, and that surprised me. Yeah,
3: that was what I was going to say. The surprising thing was how well UCLA played at the start of that game. You know, I, I picked UCLA to win the game, but I wasn't expecting them to come out and really put it on Washington like that. I thought Washington was going to come out ready to go and have that offense humming. But yeah, I mean, if they played another quarter, another two quarters, Washington probably wins that game. So I, you know, I still think Washington is a good team. That was my takeaway: is that I think Washington's still good. They're just not quite there yet to be a Pac-12 contender. Maybe not this season. It might be next year with Kalen DeBoer. But that's that was my takeaway: is that Washington, you know, they are good, but I don't know if they're quite up there at the upper echelon yet.
0: Sean and Steven, do you think? Do you think UCLA is a contender? I yeah. I am including them for now.
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I definitely think UCLA is a contender. I mean, we went into this season with a uh, they had the veteran quarterback Dorian Thompson-Robinson. They have Chip Kelly, and this we got, went into the season thinking they were a contender. And then I think we overreacted a little bit to the first four or five weeks when they had really easy opponents and maybe didn't show up for all of those games. But they they showed who they really are on Friday, and I think we overrated Washington a little bit because Michigan State's not a good team at all, and Stanford's not a good team at all. So I still think they're a solid team, but UCLA is def they definitely. Open my eyes on Friday.
3: I think it was you. I think you tweeted John that, you know, maybe South Alabama really is that good. <laughs>
0: and you know, it turns
3: I, out they are. Maybe they are. Maybe <laughs> they are that good cuz UCLA, I mean, you you have to consider them a contender. You know, I don't think they're going to get to Vegas, but you at this point to beat Washington who, you know, has proven to be a really good team. I think you have to put them in the contender status uh, you know, being undefeated in the Pac-12 as well.
0: I think you uh you, we have to we have to be cautious of the Friday night games. Uh, because I think they sometimes are outliers. Like you know, one, a road team on a Friday night playing uh, in the Pac-12 historically, those teams have not fared well. And and I think if you really don't want to get ahead of yourself, you look at this and you go, okay, maybe maybe UCLA is good enough, but let's not go too far. Maybe you know, maybe I'm I'm going to say maybe because I'm I'm hesitant to. Go all the way. Am I being unfair? No, I don't think you're
3: being unfair. Um, You know, because like you said, there are weird situations, right? Like, I think it was more it was more weird that Oregon beat Stanford by so many points than it would have been if it was close. Because just for some reason, Oregon plays close with Stanford, so I thought that was a little strange that Oregon beat them by so much. So I think you're right. You know, UCLA is coming into a very tough part of their schedule. Mm -hmm. Next, they're playing Utah, then they're at Oregon. Um, So. I think it's really going to decide these next two weeks if they're contenders for sure. But for right now, I think you cautiously, optimistically put them in the contender status.
5: Yeah, no, I think it, I, I think it's it's fair to not to pump the brakes a little bit on UCLA. They do have a very tough schedule coming up, like Stephen mentioned. But for me, last week I said USC versus Washington. I'm now taking Washington out of my championship game prediction and not putting UCLA in there. But I definitely think they're more of a contender to me.
0: Yeah, I I uh, I think with Washington, it, disappointing performance, uh, you know, in the first half in particular, I just felt like if they had been about seven points better in the first half, on the defensive side of the ball, offensive side of the ball, it's a it's a different outcome. But I still would have left that game with concerns about them. Uh, you know, they give up forty to UCLA. UCLA looked terrific. And again, let's go back to this quarterback play in the Pac-12 conference. Like you've got Dorian Thompson Robinson. You have a fifth year starter at quarterback. It's unheard of. It's never before happened. Huge advantage for Chip Kelly. They've got a puncher's chance to get into Vegas.
1: BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with a bald-faced truth.
0: Oh, we have the great Mike Leach with some marriage advice coming up up this segment. Oh, yeah. He gave some marriage advice after Mississippi State's big win. You'll hear that, plus everything else that we have scoured planet Earth and found. It's all part of Punch It Audio. uh, By the way, they're saying we're having a heat wave. You guys consider this a heat wave?
3: No, I don't think it's a heat wave. It's just hotter than usual yeah it's abnormally hot
5: for October
0: I don't know I don't I just I heard I I, the headline is heat wave but I'm like heat wave to me it's got to be uncomfortably warm to say it's a heat wave
5: I'm wearing a sweatshirt right now
0: in the middle of a heat wave
5: yeah exactly it shows that it's not a heat wave
0: it's like 78, 79 degrees. Maybe it'll hit 80 today. I yeah, don't know.
3: I think they need to have a better definition because I'm with you. When I think heat wave, I'm thinking I'm just sweating profusely no matter what I'm doing. Just sitting
0: here. I'm thinking first world problems. Look at us. Yeah. In the Pacific Northwest. It's 79. Oh, it's a heat wave. We're all going to complain when it rains again, so. <laughs> we need to go. Yeah, I, don't, I, I think we need a moratorium on that. Like, I heard that in the summer. People were complaining, going, oh, it's so warm. And I go, yeah, but, you know, when it rains, you're going to be craving this. Like, you could, I think you should only be allowed to complain about one thing. Right. I totally you either, agree. yeah, we, I, and I'm saying we all get one thing. But it either has to be you complain that it rains too much and it's cold and dreary in the winter. Or you complain when it gets hot in the summer that you really long for that Pacific Northwest, you know, uh, cool weather.
3: Can we agree on that? I agree because the other option is you can only be excited when it's like one temperature. That's like what San Diego. Like so, you have to li- go live there. So I agree. I've chosen rain to complain about. I will not complain about the sun or the hot.
6: I'm with you.
0: I'm with you,
5: Sean. Which what's
0: your gonna what's your complaint gonna
5: be? I don't know. I feel like I can't back off from the fact that all summer I was complaining about the heat. I'm looking forward to putting on a winter coat. So, <laughs> so I'm opposite you of you guys. So you're you're kind of sick of the son. sun. I'm a, you know I'm an armpit sweater. Uh, oh. so like, I, you know, maybe <laughs> TMI, but like, you know, I wear a gray shirt in the summer oh, and like my oh. day is, it, you know, I kind of have to hide.
3: See, I can take my shirt off really fast. So I enjoy the heat.
0: Yeah. Do you, do you, uh, do you put that on your Tinder profile? Armpit sweater? sweater?
5: <laughs> no, no. Good. I, yeah. I hide that.
0: I'm thinking it's going to be a bad thing. Hey, by, by the way, guys, did you, did you hear Mike Leach? Did you guys catch Mike Leach? The gift that keeps on giving. He, he was leaving the field after Mississippi state. Uh, Had a big win over the weekend, and the uh, SEC Network uh, sideline host, uh, sideline reporter is apparently engaged to get married, and she asked him a question. Did you guys see this? I did. I thought it was very interesting that he had,
3: like, a marriage take on, like, holstered up, ready to go. (laughs) Yeah. Like, right after the game, they just win, and it's like, oh, I got this marriage take I need to get out. Like, he knew it was coming almost. Like, it's insane that he just has that on the go.
0: I think he has a take on everything, and I think if you get, if you can, if you can, all right, I'm going to play this before we get into a bunch audio because I don't want a bunch of sound underneath it. So, but I, I think if you listen to him, he's thinking about what his take's going to be as he's stalling and putting her off, and he's asking her questions about uh, kind of what uh, she foresees. I know you have strong
7: thoughts on weddings. Um, I'm in the middle of planning one right now. Do you have you any want, advice for me? Who yeah. are you marrying? His name is Trevor.
8: Okay, yeah, well, I'll have to set up a meeting and I'll talk to him. Um, Okay, so uh, where's Trevor from?
7: He's from Florida.
8: What does Trevor do for a living?
7: He works in sports as well, covers football.
8: He does what?
7: He covers football as well.
8: Really? Well, I don't know. We'll keep a close eye on it, but whatever you and Trevor decide, I would kind of keep it on the down low, which you failed to do that. Trevor was probably planning to but you didn't uh, so go ahead and uh, uh, don't, don't say anything else about it but as soon as the season's over or even an off week go elope trust me on that go elope. Because basically every female in the family is going to terrorize you guys until it's over. Once it's over, I mean, they'll be upset for a few days, but it'll be over. And then, you know, you cruise uh, along, have a happy marriage, have a happy life. I'll pass along the message. Thanks, Coach. Congrats uh, on the win. Trevor, unless he's crazy, is totally on my side. Trust me on this. If Trevor doesn't uh, have the sense to do that, Tell him to call me because I mean he needs to do trust. I, I told all my kids I'll give you ten thousand dollars extra if you elope. So far they haven't done it, but I would too. I'll
3: have
0: him call you for. Sh-
8: there it is, Mike Leach.
0: Is he right? Should Should they elope?
3: Well, no, I don't think so. I don't think he's right. I I don't know. I don't have a hard take on it. But my question <laughs> is like, do you call him? Do you Do you you know if you're that lady? Do you get Mike Leach's number and no. you give
0: it to Trevor? No, it's good TV though. Oh. I, I, and by I the think, way,
3: yeah, I think, I, I think elope, I I agree. You know, eloping is a good idea for some, but you know, like. I try to think for my marriage and my wedding. Like, there'd be no way that I could be able to pull it off or talk that into my wife. So I, now I think he's wrong. I think he's wrong.
0: Anna and I kind of we didn't elope, but we kind of did something along those lines because we were when we were planning the wedding. We were looking around and we were going, you know what? It, this is going to be a big party for like three hundred people. Uh, and the comment was made: we could just go to Hawaii, and we could pay everybody's way if we only took our immediate family members. And so, then we decided to do that. And so, we just paid—we paid like twenty-five people's ways to Hawaii, and it ended up being cheaper than a big wedding.
3: That's not a bad idea yet, yeah, because my brother just got married, and uh, you know he's complained a lot still about how much it's cost. So uh, yeah, yeah.
0: And, and in the end, look, I, I feel the same way as Mike Leach. I have three daughters. Uh, I will throw that out there to them too. Like, hey, it's like a down payment on a house. Yeah, literally, if you're talking about putting on a wedding, I would much rather have you have a house. But go try to convince your little girl who has dreamed of her wedding uh, that you're going to do that and that that would be a better idea. Good luck with that. But Mike Leach with some marital advice to go along with the battle axe act- takes that he has and everything else. That leads us into Punch It Audio. Best sound all around. <laughs>
5: We interrupt this broadcast with
4: a special announcement
0: from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way
3: here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day.
0: You're going to hear little snippets of sound.
7: Hey,
3: it's time for Punch It
1: Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling.
0: Well, Oregon took it to Stanford on Saturday night at Ottson Stadium. In a game that ended around midnight, the Roosters were crowing. But before that... Bo Nix, he went for an 80-yard touchdown run, not a pass, a run, punch it.
6: I gave him a really hard
2: time last week. We threw the throwback to Bo on the, um, you know, play at Washington State, and I said, man, I really didn't expect you to go down like that. So I've been kind of jabbing him for a long time here. I'm, I didn't realize you were, you know, the sliding quarterback type and uh, or jump on the ground guy. So that run was fun. We got over there he was sucking wind on the sideline <laughs> so he was running hard he let up a little bit at the end and you know their defender came in there uh aggressive um, at the end with an opportunity to punch it out but i'm i'm proud of the way he finished there might have to do just a little bit extra conditioning for 80 yard runs
0: bo nix ran for 141 he's using his feet now i thought he hurt stanford it adds a dimension to oregon's offense when he runs with the football like that i thought it was a statement game against a program stanford program that's really struggling And what I mean by that is, you know, Oregon put up 515 yards of offense. They won for the fourth straight time. Um, You know, it wasn't a moment of truth game for Oregon. That's coming. There's six weeks of that coming. You know, they have Arizona next week on the road, then a bye. Then the final six regular season games for Oregon, it's UCLA at home, at Cal, at Colorado, Washington at home, Utah at home, at Oregon State. It's going to be a little bit of a gauntlet. I think between a UCLA program that has emerged a little bit, going to Cal where Justin Wilcox has been tough over the years, playing Washington, playing Utah, playing Oregon State in succession, uh, I think that is uh, going to be a huge test for Oregon. But, you know, Bo Nix, he's the star of the show right now. As he goes, the Ducks go. Meanwhile, Oregon State, they had some nice moments. In their game, including Silas Bolden on a nice TD run on a reverse. Punch it. All right, double
3: handoff. Ran this play last week, running it nicely. It's Bolden. He's running it to the house.
0: Silas Bolden. Boom, he took it to the house. Oregon State tied that game 7-7 in Salt Lake City against Utah. But it was Clark Phillips the third who picked up an interception for every Roman numeral in his name who really was the star on Saturday. Punch it.
6: Deshaun Fenwick alongside. Extra coming. Beavers pick
0: it up,
2: and that's a pick six. Clark Phillips twice and a
0: quarter. Boom. Stop throwing at that guy. He's an All-American. Clark Phillips was good. The Beavers didn't get great quarterback play. For the second straight week, they had four interceptions. We'll know more later this week. I don't know if Chance Nolan is going to play this week as Oregon State travels to Stanford. Keep an eye on it. We'll have more this week. Rick George, the Colorado AD, he fired Carl Durrell. Then he had a news conference that talked about it. Here's the AD at Colorado explaining why it had to be done. Punch it.
6: You know, when, when we did this a few years ago, uh, we had a couple weeks. And, and I think when we hired Carl, um, it was two weeks before the season. And, you know, the timing of doing that after signing day in February is really challenging, um, but no excuse. Uh, we hired uh, Carl for the right reasons. Uh, we uh, fully intended him to bring this program back. He started off really well, and you know we've just uh, not been uh, where we should be in the last year and a half. So, um, you know, having two months, and and I will tell you, and I want to make sure everybody understands this, is that we're not going to hire somebody in the next couple days this is going to take time. We're going to be very thorough. We're going to be very uh, intentional about looking at the right group of coaches. And when we make that decision, um, uh, it's going to be um, the decision that's in the best interest of of Colorado football. And and we're confident um, that we'll have a lot of people that'll be very interested in this job.
0: In the coming weeks, i'll give you some ideas about where i think arizona or excuse me colorado is going to go but i can tell you what kind of coach they're going to hire they're going to hire somebody who's who's been a head coach somewhere before they're going to hire somebody who's worked in college football probably primarily in college football carl durell had been in the nfl they're going to hire somebody who knows the portal who knows the western part of the united states I think there are some candidates out there, and I think, in fact, the guy that Wisconsin just fired, Paul Crist, could become a candidate. He knows the Pac-12. He's worked in the Pac-12. Knows the western part of the United States. He's worked in college football. He's been a head coach. He's been successful. Fits the mold. Keep an eye on sitting head coaches or those who are just recently out of the game. Finally, J.J. Watt got emotional at the postgame news conference. He had a heart issue, ended up in the hospital on Thursday, played on Sunday in Arizona's win over the Cleveland Browns. After the game, he got a little misty. Said it'd been an emotional week. Here's J.J. Watt. Punch it.
9: I'm looking at ultrasounds of our baby boy, and uh, they're all extremely happy. And then, yes, yeah, Thursday, we were looking at ultrasound of my heart. Um, it was... It was very tough it's, it's been it's been a week it's been a week, but uh happy to be here happy to uh yeah. okay yeah, yeah, I did I mean it's been tough, you know. It was uh, it's just weird. It was just weird. I have a baby on the way.
8: Save the game with that tip pass.
9: Yeah. The boys played good today. I don't. I don't. I don't want to take away from from the great game. The boys played a great game.
0: JJ Watt, I think, channeling what a lot of parents feel, or a lot of people feel, as they transition to being a parent, there's something bigger than yourself. Kind of an idiot reporter interjecting, you saved the game with that tipped pass. Like, you don't get it. Let the moment breathe. Let JJ talk. He's being emotional. He's being real. I uh, just sort of shook my head when I heard the reporter in the room interjecting himself. Let it breathe. Seahawks-Lions game. DK Metcalf got carted off the field. Why? Here he is talking about it. Seahawks won the game 48-45. Is this an emergency? Punch it.
5: Put a scare in everybody when you got carted off the field. Okay. That, that, that just, uh, just yeah, I mean, I was hurting. <laughs> <laughs>
6: That's
1: it.
5: <laughs> I had a little tummy ache. Uh, you know, had to had to get it taken care of. Was that,
1: uh,
6: a you a
5: car? See, I didn't even ask for that. I was about to, <laughs> I was going to jog off the field myself. And then, you know, Strick was like, we got a cart for you. And I was like, hey, might as well.
6: Is this the longest place to go? For yes,
5: it was, yeah. So w- when I was on the cart, I was, I was thinking, like, yeah, it was a, it was a good thing we had the cart on standby. Sir? I
6: ain't <laughs> have my wallet
5: on
0: me. <laughs> first the
5: car, the bill, but... Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm, I don't even like taking the cart, but and that's it.
0: in that situation, DJ D.K. Metcalf had to use the bathroom. It was an emergency. That's why he left the field. That's It Audio. It's the best sound from all around. We got it. Anna's going to pop in next. We're going to talk about a variety of different stories. I want you to leave it here.
1: Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: I realized I should have saved the Mike Leach wedding advice clip for Anna's segment. She's in the studio now. I want to play it for anybody who listened again. uh, Mike Leach giving some wedding advice to the sideline reporter who uh, was working Mississippi State's game for the SEC Network over the weekend. And I really do enjoy a coach who's not afraid to get out of his lane.
7: I know you have strong thoughts on weddings. Um, I'm in the middle of planning one right now. Do you have you any are? advice for me? Who yeah.
8: are you marrying?
7: His name is Trevor.
8: Okay, yeah, well <clears throat> I'll have to you set up a meeting and I'll talk to him um, Okay, so uh, Where's Trevor from? He's from Florida. What does Trevor do for a living?
7: He works in sports as well covers football
8: He does what
7: he covers football as well
8: Really? Well, I don't know. We'll keep a close eye on it, but whatever you and Trevor decide, I would kind of keep it on the down low, which you failed to do that. Trevor was probably planning to, but you didn't. Uh, So go ahead and uh, uh, don't, don't say anything else about it, but as soon as the season's over, or even an off week, go elope. Trust me on that. Go elope. Because basically every female in the family is going to terrorize you guys until it's over. Once it's over, I mean, they'll be upset for a few days, but it'll be over. And then, you know, you cruise uh, along, have a happy marriage, have a happy life. I'll pass along the message. Thanks, Coach. Congrats on the win. Trevor, unless he's crazy, is totally on my side. And trust me on this, if Trevor doesn't uh, have the sense to do that, Tell him to call me because, I mean, he needs to do trust. I've told all my kids, I'll give you $10,000 extra if you elope. So far they haven't done it, but I would too.
7: I'll have him call you for sure.
0: There it is, Mike Leach. (laughs) Anna, what do you make of that?
7: What I think is hilarious is this is not the first time that he's given wedding advice, and he's really on theme with the whole eloping theme. Like, he's also spoken in the past and told other people, about how horrific it is to try to plan weddings and how women lose their minds and the fiance will lose their mind, the mother-in-law is gonna lose their mind, the mom's gonna lose their mind sisters and female relatives he's he's a real big fan of the eloping strategy.
0: yeah, he's got thoughts on things outside of football which I like I like about him and he's and you know what he also doesn't care what people think of him, and I think that's the best part of it like he's gonna you know like he's not trying to play it safe there and I think sometimes. Uh, a lot of coaches do. But, you know, I, we have him on the show. He talks about aliens and cowboys and Geronimo and, you know, it, it, battle axes. Uh, you know, he was after after practice one time a few years ago at Washington State. He got on a battle axe tangent.
5: Mike, you said a lot of interesting things yesterday, but I think you, you buried one of the most important ones. Tell us more about this uh, this battle axe in the bedroom, and how proficient are you with that?
9: Uh, well, I play with it in front of the TV. You yeah. know, I look at it and I touch it and I play with it in front of the TV. Uh, and I know I, I haven't done this. I mean to uh, to read up on it. It's called a bearded axe, hmm. and what a, what a what a bearded axe uh, is is. Uh, it's the kind that's that, that's that's not just like this. It's the kind that's like this and then it hangs down, okay? okay. And, uh, well, and then I just read briefly on it. But, you know, it's like, so if I need to grab you around the neck to kick the hell out of you, which, you know, and then, uh, or to climb <laughs> stuff, or uh, then the other thing, importantly, like, is you're chopping logs or fixing, you know, not just battle. It's important you kill gun battle. You want to. A light axe with a, a good cutting surface, but you also uh, want it light enough as you're doing your work that you you can cover a lot of ground, but you save the weight in the part that's cut mm. out underneath. So, anyways, yeah, I don't know. I'll have to I'll have to develop my skills at it, but uh, I'd piddle with it in front of the TV and look at it and and imagine. And then, in particular, when the show Vikings comes back on, I'll uh, I'll especially be uh, uh observing
0: it then yeah he's observing his axe in front of the television <laughs>
7: thank you for the context yeah. on his uh on his quotes there we want
0: to make sure that we're talking about his battle axe <laughs>
7: his battle uh um,
0: i i asked him one time <laughs> if if he would want to be president all right mm-hmm. all right this is what he said about becoming president of the united states
10: uh you know the hardest thing about that job is getting that job uh i think the hardest thing is getting that job Would i want that job well it's like anybody i mean it's like it's like, it's like my job you know everybody sitting at home thinks they want my job <laughs> um you know uh and there and, and that's also a job like my job that that everybody thinks they know how to do that job better than the guy that has it you know uh would i want that job yeah i think i would now i my suspicion is 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 you know, if some if you threw some pixie dust my direction and I got it, I'd wish I didn't after about a month. But you know, after I checked out all the stuff, did the museums, flew the airplane, uh you know, uh ran around Camp David, uh, you know, went uh You know, you could have all kinds of cool tours, you know, Washington and stuff like that. I mean, you could even do a JFK mischief tour, you know? Like, uh, this is, you know, this is the room where, you know? Yeah. um,
0: This is the room where. (laughs) Happy birthday, Mr. President. Um,
7: (laughs) He's a riot. Yeah. So do you think someday when he retires from coaching that he will... Make a foray into broadcasting? No, I don't no? think so. He'll just be done?
3: It's
0: He's interesting. What? I, I, dirty little secret, okay? I, I'm going to tell a secret that I've never told before on air here.
7: Okay. Should we get quiet?
0: Well, I don't know. But keep it between us, and if you're listening out there, you're allowed to tell one other person. Okay. Okay. When Willie Taggart got the job at Oregon as the head football coach,
7: yeah.
0: Mike Leach really wanted it. Oh. He was at Washington State. He, I think, had kind of hit the ceiling in Pullman, had done everything he could possibly do. And he wanted to get in on that search. I had a conversation with him. I think now he wouldn't mind me sharing it, where he asked me kind of where Oregon was going with that hire. And I at some point in the conversation, I said, "Do you want this job?" And he had had great success, had had a little run of success against Oregon and i think the mindset of him and i think he he said this out and out like you know he had at one point he beat oregon like six times in a row and he said imagine what i could do with their guys <laughs> uh, meaning i didn't have the talent i just out coached them but there was a there was a feeling at oregon that mike Leach didn't quite have the polish of the coaches they were looking for that you couldn't put him in front of the boosters you couldn't you know, that he would occasionally say something that would embarrass you. I think, you know, and he's not the first coach to be that way. I think when it, whenever a program makes a hire, they have to hire somebody they're comfortable with that they can put in front of their boosters. They feel like sort of envelops the identity of the university. Yeah. And he fit at it, it Washington State. And he fits at Mich- Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. It's it's He would have fit at Oregon State, for example. But USC, Washington, Oregon probably doesn't have that polish. I think in in Chinese culture, you have a term for it mm. that is kind of like you have it, it's kind of like you don't you have the class or the elegance. Yeah. What is that term?
7: It's fengdu.
0: Explain what that means to the listeners.
7: Uh it's basically like um it's the idea that you can take like a a million dollar outfit and put it on somebody but if you put it on the wrong person it won't look like a million dollar outfit. Yeah. And but if you put it on the right person you it, or the idea that you could take a $5 outfit and put it on the right person and it and looks it'll a look like bucks. a million.
0: Yes. Dollars. We yes. all know that.
7: Yes. We
0: but it's kind of like a I don't want to use the term class because it's not that he's low class. Yeah. yeah. It's just that there's a certain polish that's lacking. Yeah. And Pat Hill had it, Fresno State coach. I brought him up earlier in the show. He was a terrific football coach, but he was always wearing, like, a sweat-crusted baseball cap and had, like, the the mustache and the goatee going. Yeah. And so, there, like, he wanted to be a Pac-12 coach, but there was probably, like, two or three places that would hire him and everybody else would be like, we're not even going to interview that guy. Like, you look at his hat. He wears a sweaty hat. Yeah. Like, so Oregon didn't look at Mike Leach.
7: Do you think that was a mistake, though? Because, I mean, in the end... How, how important is that really? If he can coach and he's a little rough around the edges, isn't that mostly acceptable? It mostly
0: is. But part of that job is fundraising and meshing with the biggest donors in the room. And it's funny, but I reached out to some people at Oregon here in the last you know few months, even before they hired Dan Lanning, and I said, gosh, if you unwind this and look back at Mike Leach wanting in on that search – Years ago, and I couldn't get it in print. I couldn't get it quite on the record at the time Mm -hmm. because I don't think Mike Leach at Washington State was willing to say I want the Oregon job, because it wouldn't it wouldn't go over well. If you don't get it, then you're you're dead to the Washington State community. But you know, we all know he wanted out. He tried to get to Tennessee. He tried to. He eventually got to Mississippi State. And but you know, if you had taken Mike Leach's offense and put it at USC with that with that kind of recruiting pool. Mm Oh, he would have had the success. Yeah, it would have had great success. Yeah. Like there was a lot of places it would have worked. But I had one prominent Oregon donor just this last weekend who told me it would have worked, Leech at Oregon would have worked, but they couldn't get it by Phil Knight. Hmm. That it wasn't, you know, quite what Oregon was looking for. And they were looking for more polish. They were looking for something, you know, Chip Kelly it was shiny, it was it was new, it was exciting, it was thrilling. That That's what opens the checkbooks, and that's what sells tickets. And and I, and I think there was some allergy, and understandably so, because there were other places where the allergy existed as well, to take in a guy who would talk like this. A thousand guns.
10: But I think in order to operate a gun, you should have a license that means, I know what a gun is. I know the difference between a pistol and a revolver. I know the difference between a shotgun and a rifle, uh, I can I can I can load and unload one, and I can shoot it, and within some level of competency, hit what I'm aiming at. And and uh, failure to do that, you're not allowed to uh, operate a gun.
0: There's just not a lot of football coaches would be willing to talk about that. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He
7: wasn't – I mean, he's not somebody who's going to stay in a lane. No. That you want him to stay in. And so
0: I understand (laughs) it. If you're – let's not pick on Oregon here. Let's just say if you're Oregon, if you're Washington, if you're USC, if you're – you know if you are a major college football program that's got tremendous resources and a lot of options – You probably don't want to deal with that, Mm -hmm. so you don't, because you don't have to. Mm -hmm. But would it have been – was it a great hire at Washington State? It certainly was. It raised the profile of their program Mm -hmm. at a time when they needed it badly. They had gone through, I think, some dismal times, and I think Bill Moose was really smart to hire Mike Leach and bring him in there. But I think it, I think it makes go.
5: sense. You know, Mike Leach is not really fitting at Oregon. I think it, the Oregon job takes a certain certain kind of person. Snobby. But would you say that Mario Cristobal wasn't that kind of person? Like, I see some parallels between Cristobal and Mike Leach, kind of more mm-hmm. old school and hard-nosed. And
0: I think hard-nosed, yes. It, but Mario Cristobal had the reputation of just being a tremendous recruiter. And if you see what Oregon did, you know, Cristobal, Taggart, Lanning, look at the last three hires – it was the common thread is they were looking for a big-time recruiter who was a head coach. They were going to we have the facilities, we need to recruit the best talent in the country, and then we will spend more money than other schools on our assistant coaching pool, which is kind of how they backfilled on that front. So I think I wouldn't say, like, Mario Cristobal would never entertain the idea of talking about some of the things. Like, yeah, I'll give you an example. Mario Cristobal, during the pandemic, was training – Doing MMA, UFC fighting. He was sparring. Okay? I found out about it. I found out he was working out at a gym, and he was actually throwing hands, sparring with other UFC, like, people who were training in the mixed martial arts genre. Yeah. I actually think that Mario Cristobal probably had a um, sparring bout with people that he actually fought because he needed the competition so much. Mm -hmm. I asked him about it. He more or less confirmed to me that he was doing that during like when everything was shut down.
7: Yeah.
0: He needed competition.
7: Right.
0: He wouldn't let me really, uh, he wouldn't go any further. He wouldn't let me, like wouldn't tell me anything about it. Wouldn't, like I couldn't get to the point where I could actually write about it Mm -hmm. or talk about it. But it was going on. Mike Leach, if he was doing that, would tell you. Like, Mm -hmm. he would just be like, oh, yeah, I shot, you know, I've been fighting somebody. Not that he would be a fighter, but, you know, it's just there's a difference of polish there. Cristobal didn't want it out there, Mm -hmm. you know, because it didn't fit with whatever he was trying to portray at Oregon. Now, did he ever have, like, a sanctioned bout? I don't think so. But I kind of think he may have fought somebody on the down low, Mm -hmm. like, just to have that, you know, he needed a competition in his life. Funny. It's kind of just who he was and who he is. Wow.
7: These characters, these coaches. Yep,
0: but that's why you listen to the show. That's why you come here. I'm going to give you stuff you can't get anywhere else. Leave it here.
1: Back to the Bald faced Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: I'm all kinds of fired up about the remainder of the of the Pac-12 football season. A couple of uh, news items to get to. Uh, Tony LaRussa has stepped down as the White Sox manager. He cited health concerns. He'll turn 78 tomorrow. Has not managed a game since leaving uh, Guarantee Rate Field on August 30th. Doctors told him he's got a heart issue, so he's stepping down. Uh, We heard J.J. Watt talking about his heart issue during Punch It! Audio. He's got a uh, newborn on the way, and a heart uh, issue uh, gave him a scare last week. Uh, Meanwhile, the Miami Dolphins are uh, declaring Tua uh, Tungvaloa out for the Week 5 game against the New York Jets. He is in concussion protocol, according to Mike McDaniel. And you also have um, continued questions from the NFL Players Association. They are reviewing the NFL's concussion protocol. The NFL and the NFLPA say that uh, they are committed to seeing that through, his evaluation and whatnot. Um, So that is uh, uh, on the minds of a lot of people in the NFL. And uh, uh, at a report out today as U.S. soccer investigation went public, they found systemic abuse and misconduct. Uh, In the league, including the Portland Timbers, Portland Thorns organization, I said earlier, very disappointing, uh, very disappointed and frustrated with what looks to be a pattern of uh, abuse and mistreatment of players and uh, a hostile and toxic work environment for the players in the NWSL. Uh, I'm just I'm totally floored that like half the coaches in the league are now gone. Uh, for one reason or another, but um, certainly the Timbers and the Thorns have questions to answer and really disappointed with those organizations. Such a sense or a source of pride that Thorns organization and uh, management and ownership uh, completely face planning and dropping the ball. So those stories are out there. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, this fishing scandal. Anna, I got to know what you think about this. Uh, I saw this video, a lot of other people saw this video on social media, but there was a uh, cheating scandal in one of these walleye fishing tournaments. This was on Lake Erie last week. Uh, The tournament director for the Lake Erie Walleye Trail uh, cut open the winning catch on Friday. Because they, you know how they determine the winner in a walleye contest? Uh, I had no idea. They no, weigh. I really should know this. They weigh the fish. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. the biggest fish, uh-huh. heaviest fish okay. win. Okay. Okay. Well, what do you think happened?
7: Uh, oh, no. Did,
0: was there stuff inside? Lead weights. Oh, come on. And prepared fish fillets <laughs> were inside the winning catch. Five walleye on Friday. The winning anglers, uh, Jacob Runyon, Chase Kaminsky, were immediately disqualified. Um, they actually had to leave the tournament for their own safety because other competitors were screaming expletives at them <laughs> and starting to mobilize around them. It was like a bunch of angry it was like a mob. guys. It was a mob. A bunch of angry, camouflaged, <laughs> ball cap wearing Oh, no. heading no. over to the local Cabela's after the tournament guys were starting to gather around these honks. Ugh. They're now saying that the prosecutor's office in Cleveland may have charges in this case.
7: Criminal charges? Criminal
0: charges. It's fraud. It's a oh. cheating scramble. Should this be a criminal issue, Anna?
7: Whoa. I don't, Yeah, could be. I mean, thousands of dollars in prize money. I'm sure yep. for this competition. So yeah, I, I'm alright with it going that route. But also, really, like who cheats this way in a fishing competition? And uh, like, I I, 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 there's so much more that I want to know. Like, that the fish were stuffed with lead weights and other fish fillets.
0: Can't be the first time this has happened.
7: So. They must have
0: That's opened it. them, stuffed yeah. them, resealed them. Well, there were yeah, and then brought them in like we just caught them, weigh them, we win. I watched the whole damn video. Yeah, okay, the whole video shows them kind of like hey, announcing the winners. Yeah, and then they were gonna pose with for pictures and hold them up. Yeah, but there was some question because. You know, veteran fishermen will look at a fish and they, they approximately know what that fish should weigh. Right. You know. Right. So like, how do
7: they even think they could get away with this? Like stupid. this fish just had a really big dinner prior to getting caught.
0: That's another online. element.
7: <laughs> Feels like if there's a competition like this and there's thousands of dollars on the line, it should be proctored yeah. a little more closely.
0: Yeah. The tournament director <laughs> told W O I O T V in Ohio that he cut the fish open because they appeared heavier than the typical walleye. And they found problems, lead weights and uh, other materials in there. Uh The uh, Cayuga Cuy- County prosecutor, Michael, o- Michael O'Malley, <laughs> said that his staff will be meeting. He said, quote, I take all crime seriously, included the attempted felony theft at a fishing tournament, end quote. They're going after these guys. They're going to throw the book at these fishermen.
7: Well, but you know what it leads you to believe? Like, this is not the first time. It's like a drunk yeah. driver. You know, when a drunk driver gets caught, that is not the first time that person is
0: driven drunk. They're going to make a deal out of it, just like every parent makes a deal out of something that goes wrong. That yeah. They go, like, the two parents. Like, sometimes, Anna, I <laughs> hope our kids aren't listening. Like, we may huddle on listen. an issue, mm-hmm. and we may go, you know what? Uh, I'm not really that mad, but we really need to throw the book at him right now. We need to send a message. (laughs) So I kind of feel like the prosecutor in, you know, Cayuga County, Ohio, has more important things to do, but is saying, I don't ever want to have to deal with this again. (laughs) So let's send a message here. I kind of think the fishing world will police itself. Oh, for
7: sure. It's going to, but... I really have to know how much broader this issue goes because there there must be more cheaters out there. They have to have gotten this idea from somewhere, right? Is that just the cynical side of me going, Oh, they, they just <laughs> happen to get caught, but you know the the the, the yelling at
0: them <laughs> yeah. is uh oh pretty colorful they just, get out of here but you know what it is Weights it's, in the fish it's the when you're out there fishing these guys these guys have a lot of time on their hands they got a lot of time to think and they're like you know what would be really cool is if these fish had just eaten well what if we put lead weights <laughs> inside of them hey that's not a bad idea <laughs> like you know call the cops you know the but I I really do think like the prosecutor's offices across the country, have more important things to do than to get into sports, things that should be just, you know, because, like, look, nobody is nobody's going to suggest criminal charges for an NFL team that breaks the rules. Yeah. We leave it to the officials in the NFL to handle that. Right. I right. kind of feel like Major League Baseball. A bat is corked. Are we really going to start calling the district attorney's office when Sammy Sosa's bat turns out to be corked? Mm-hmm. No, you shouldn't. Like, you know, you find a foreign substance. This guy is ejected from the game. He was putting... Uh, Vaseline on the baseball, right? You, that should be a sport matter, mm-hmm. not a prosecution matter. Mm-hmm. It's not an assault. So you don't
7: think? No. this. But what about the laws? It's like theft by swindling or fraud. You know. But
0: we can't do. We can't apply that to sports. Yeah. Yeah. Like you know, we can't go to Barry Bonds and go, "Hey, you used the cream in the clear. You're going to jail in mm-hmm. a baseball game." No. He just should be. He should have been banned, and you know, he was using it.
7: Yeah. So the answer here is there- lifetime ban. You know, on like their fishing licenses should be taken away. Yes. Lifetime ban on them from being able to fish legally in the United States. Just go hard on
0: that. I I would, if I were the fishing board or the fishing game, fishing (laughs) wildlife in Ohio or (laughs) Cayuga County, I would say we're going to put these guys' pictures on a on a uh, billboard. (laughs) The public shaming. We're going to publicly scarlet letter them, (laughs) and they never get to they never get to fish again. How about that? Is that it?
7: Oh, man.
0: No more fishing license for you, you
7: guys.
0: (sighs) But call the cops. Turns into a frenzy. Yeah. Leave it here. You got the BFT.
1: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: You know what? Ty Cobb had the uh, record for the highest career batting average. Did you know that? Barry Bonds, most home runs, 762. Um, How about uh, most hits, Pete Rose, 4,256. What else? Uh, How about about, uh, most runs scored ever in Major League Baseball history? You guys know who scored the most runs? More runs than anybody. Uh, modern era player.
3: No idea. Ricky Henderson, I guess.
0: Yeah, you got hey. it. Ricky Henderson. 2,295. Uh, Cy Young, pitching wins, 5'11. Most no hitters, Nolan Ryan had seven. But I can tell you that I know these things, but I have asked my wife no fewer than four times today. Our six-year-old has some kind of extracurricular activity. Anna, you've told me over and over. Yeah. Yeah. What it is? Yeah. What time it is? Yeah. Where it is? Mm-hmm. I can't for the life of me, no, understand why I can't remember. It's just. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it's just like
7: dealing with somebody with a traumatic brain injury.
0: It's. <laughs> I'm used to it. <laughs> I, I don't. Why is it that that kind of like? It's not that it's not important to me. Yeah. But I know several times today I've said to you, our six-year-old's name is Sojourner. Yeah. We call her Soji. I know that. But <laughs> congratulations! I have said to you, winning. Somebody has a practice or something today. Someone. What is it? And I don't know if it's soccer or yeah. boxing. Yeah. Again, sign of the times. Uh-huh. These kids are so involved; they're over-involved. Too many activities. Too much going on. But uh, I can't. So, Bucks. Remember much? what it is that it's she's like, doing. It's
7: like when you're uh, going to get gas. You know, you're going to fill up your car, unless you have like a fancy electric car or something but uh and the person asks you repeatedly like unleaded it? unleaded it? fill it fill it unleaded yeah. it? and it's like the minute you tell them they have forgotten same thing yeah. when subway. you go to sab- subway yeah and it's like wheat
0: what kind of bread yeah what kind of cheese wheat
7: not toasted yeah yeah, yeah that thing but you they know. say
0: to you they'll go what kind of bread and yes. then you'll tell them and they turn around and they go what kind of bread yes <laughs> I'm gonna yes. come to your defense, John, because uh, I know I have to
3: pick up my kids after the show, and it's—I don't know why—but uh, my wife is gone for some reason. But I know I have to do that. She, I'm sure she's told me. You don't know why. I yeah. don't. I don't know what she's <laughs> she doing. I know. know I just have to pick
0: up the kids. It's all. But you have the important part. Yeah. You're pick. You're picking up the kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't my, forget the kids. I have the important part. She's got an activity. <laughs> I tell you, during the last commercial break, I turned to Anna, and I said. What activity does she have? Yeah. And she looked at me and I go, I know I've asked you at least twice today. Yeah. And you've answered. Uh-huh. And I, it doesn't register. Yeah. I don't know why.
7: The best part of this is, Steven, does your family have some kind of master calendar that you're all connected to <laughs> electronically via that little device in your hand called a
3: phone? Uh, you know, it should be, but we don't. Like, I don't connect to my calendar phone and my wife has yelled at me about it.
7: Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. So, Anna
0: has yeah. also Because
7: the answer is right as his fin- right at his fingertips. So, but it's okay. Like there's such thing as mom brain, like, you know, I excuse my friends all the time for having mom brain, but I I firmly believe there's also a thing called dad brain. So, it, it goes both ways. That's yeah, okay.
3: I yeah. got the kid to preschool today for his first day and now I'm going to pick up the kids. I'm on top
0: of it. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. You. We're well, ahead of you. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. I like that. Uh, just remember, you need setting the bar real high. You now. need to pick up your kid later, okay? Yeah, can someone text me? You have that part of it down. <laughs> Whenever I figure out what is going on later tonight, I will text you after that. But <laughs> but uh, our kid is uh, our our kid is doing boxing. Yeah, and uh, she's gonna go and uh, mix it up. She likes that. Yeah. Uh,
7: Maybe she'll fight Mario Cristobal someday.
0: Maybe. You know? Or maybe one of the Cristobal kids. Oh, yeah. Y- you know? Yeah. She's younger, but uh, she's she's got a little punch. I'll warn them. <laughs> I've, I've been the victim to it. The Five at Five is coming up at the top of the hour. I want you here for it. Five biggest stories going on anywhere in sports. We're going to share them next. I appreciate that you're here.
1: bFFt. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with a bald-faced truth.
0: You're listening on 7.50, the game in Portland or southern Washington. You'll get Monday Night Football coming up at about 5.15. But first, the five at five.
1: The
0: Five at Five. NWSL had a problem, had a systemic problem. A U.S. soccer investigation into the women's soccer game found systemic abuse and misconduct. They interviewed more than 200 people, and they cast a disparaging eye, especially on the Portland Thorns and Portland Timbers front office. Investigation found allegations of sexual harassment and coercion, former Portland Thorns coach Paul Riley at the center of it. Merritt Paulson and his management team, Mike Gollub, the president of business for the Timbers and Thorns, all under fire for comments made and the general atmosphere, toxic atmosphere inside the front office and ownership group. Gavin Wilkinson, general manager, also implicated in those reports. It's very disappointing. It's discouraging. It's frustrating. Shaking my head at the timbers and the thorns today, as a lot of you are. Number two, Anna, go.
7: Also shaking my head, like Garrett Blunt, throwing punches. What? Things I never thought I would say again. But this time at a youth football game where he was coaching. So... <laughs> He was involved in a fight. This was on Saturday in Arizona. He was coaching at a 12 and under game, some team called the Gators against the Chandler Elite Bears. And during the uh, you know handshake line after the game, no, he didn't. Drone video. He. Appeared to take exception to something that someone said to him. This is like deja vu all over again So he got upset and motioned toward the coaches on the opposing team and eventually he got so mad That he took off in a sprint trying to confront somebody on the other sideline Now he was ultimately restrained But unfortunately for him there is drone footage That shows like dozens of parents trying to jump in between the sidelines (laughs) And, uh, he is seen running in and was seen on video throwing two punches at a man in a white t-shirt. Cops are involved. No actual injuries were reported. They describe him as an involved party. Of course, the context here is the punch back in 2009 when he famously punched Boise State defensive lineman Byron Hout after a game
0: when he was playing for the Ducks. That's disappointing. Number three in our five at five. Let's talk a little bit about the coaching carousel. Some news out of Wisconsin. Paul Chris, the coach that Wisconsin fired yesterday, his record 67 wins and 26 losses, has come to a settlement with Wisconsin. This just out just a little bit ago. They originally owed him $16.4 million, scheduled to be paid out over several years. Wisconsin has now agreed to pay Chris an $11 million lump sum due to him before the end of this football season. It appears that Chris is taking the lump sum on his Powerball winnings and probably going to move on and coach again. That's part of the settlement because a lot of times these coaching contracts include offsets. If you go to work for someone else... Uh, then you basically go to work for free. Well, Paul Christ is going to get $11 million, not sixteen point four, but he'll be eligible to coach again next season and collect another paycheck. Number four. Anna, go.
7: <laughs> the counting is the hardest part. Yes. <laughs> uh, for the second straight week. Major League Baseball, Yes Network, and ESPN decided to cut into college football broadcasts and split the screen to see, wait for it, Aaron jumped at the plate trying to hit his 62nd home run of the season. Now, this was slightly better because the timing of him failing to send a ball over the fence didn't happened during it did the way that it did last time it was like during a double overtime thriller right and people were really mad about that but people are still annoyed because they're saying if we wanted to see that we would have changed the channel for ourselves to go watch that why are you forcing us to watch this
0: you're damn right i have a remote control i don't need you to change a channel for me network finally number five in our five at five the stakes will be lower But it's still a Rams-Niner games. Third meeting between these teams this calendar year. NFC West rivals will meet tonight in Monday Night Football. But that's not the news in this one. The news for me is the fact that the honorary captain for the San Francisco 49ers will be former Oregon Duck great and Pro Football Hall of Famer Dave Wilcox. Yes, the dad of Justin Wilcox and Josh Wilcox, Justin, the coach of the Cal Bears. Josh and Justin both played at Oregon like their dad did. Wilcox is Dave Wilcox, the elder Wilcox, is 80 now. He'll be the honorary captain. Keep an eye on him tonight. Coin toss, ceremony during the game in Santa Clara. Rams visiting the Niners. Third meeting this calendar year. Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, Rams are 2-1, and one. Niners are 1-2. and two. This doesn't feel like, uh, you know, a big game as far as the NFC implications for the playoffs. Niners not moving in the same direction as the Rams right now. But just a tip of the cap to Dave Wilcox, honorary captain, Pro Football Hall of Famer. Celebrated his 80th birthday last week. Honorary captain for the Niners tonight. That's it. That's the five. At 5. Five biggest things going on. Uh, let's take a phone call. Mike's in Seattle and has called in. Mike, what is on your mind?
10: Well, so I was chuckling about the thing that you can't remember what gas, you know, to tell the attendants. Yeah. But up here in Washington, you know, we don't have any attendants, so that's not a problem. I have no idea why in Oregon, it's the only state out of the 53 states 52 states yeah
0: you can't even remember how many states we got hold God. on time out time out
10: 50, 52 right
0: <laughs> yeah, you get
10: out of rose, here mike so i don't get it yeah. yeah i went to park rose so i don't know
7: Hey <laughs> right now, broncos oh, boy. they taught us that oh, there, there was u.s history in
0: that at park rose 50 states there's 50 states I Googled it just to be sure. Oh, no. I just wanted to make sure. I just thought, well, wait a minute. Maybe I missed something. Maybe they added two. (laughs) You Googled. Well, I Googled. Googled. I want to make sure that Mike in Seattle wasn't, like, was there breaking news I missed last week? Did we Uh, add, like, Guam as a state? (laughs) You know, did did Puerto Rico and Guam get included? Well, it's, what oh, happened?
5: It's always man. been 50, but then they always make it so complicated with the District of Columbia thing, you know? Like that Washington, too. D.C. Like, and is it 50 or is it 51?
0: <laughs> did yeah. Canada
3: enter the transfer portal and come down to the <laughs> United
0: States? <laughs> <laughs> we, was, uh, yeah. we added Canada and we added Mexico.
7: I'm just here to report that John's Google search term was
0: states in the country. <laughs> That's what he put well, in. Well, I wanted to make sure... Yeah. I wasn't about to say, oh. oh, you idiot, there's only 50 states, um. and then find out, like, there was some news last week. That's the reason you get on this show. That's why right. you
7: come here, folks. Yeah, it's very educational. What kind of bread yeah. do you want? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but by the way, doesn't New Jersey still have gas attendance? Like, it's not just Oregon, right? Like, yeah. New Jersey and Oregon are the two holdouts, unless I missed some kind of news about New Jersey. It-
0: I think that that gas station attendant, the, it, it's there to create a job, right? That's, that's the reason?
7: I don't, I don't really know. It's not that
0: we're lazy. I'm
7: not going to pretend to know the answer. All
0: now. right. Whatever the case, we're back tomorrow with another great show. If you're listening on 750 The Game, stay tuned for Monday Night Football. Tomorrow on the program, big guests we will get some answers. Uh, Oregon State, who will play quarterback? How's Oregon feeling about their game? We'll look forward as a big Pac-12 schedule this week.